0: Thanks for listening to the Gateway Live podcast, a collection of recent sermons, teaching, and inspirational content brought to you by Gateway Church of Upstate New York. Visit our website at gatewaylive.org for more information. Now, here's today's message. Praise the Lord! I love that second song. I I didn't. Uh, I was singing that for weeks. I will make room for you, and Ned put it in there, there this morning, but I just want him to make, I want to make room for him and his word yeah. today. So I'm just, I'm excited about this word this morning. Um, I read a book uh, a few weeks ago, and um, I don't know exactly how I came on the book, because I know Moses was telling me about one book, and I ended up reading something that wasn't what he told me to read, and... Uh, it was it was it was divine intervention because I really feel that this is this is a book that was written 30 years ago and it is just as relevant, if if not more so relevant today. Um, Ned's Bible study on uh, Tuesday, if you haven't heard that, it's on the website. But let brotherly love continue, and I just felt like that was the perfect the perfect on-ramp to what we're going to talk about this morning. And so what I'm talking about this morning is knowing the tools of the enemy and being wise to his ways is so, is so fundamental to our Christian walk. Because if we know and we can recognize the tools of the enemy, we can recognize it and we can fight against it. We can recognize it and know that this is the enemy trying to weasel his way into my affairs, weasel his way into my life, into the church, even more so. But let's just pray this morning. Lord, we come before you today, Lord, as a family. Lord, those who are here in this room today and those who are watching online and, and even those who are going to be listening at a future date, Lord, we ask that you would come here and change us, change our lives, Lord. We don't want to leave this place. We don't want to finish hearing this word and just be informed, God. But we want to be transformed in closer to your image, Lord. We pray in the name of Jesus. So how many believe that we're living in the last days? (laughs) There's a couple instant hands there there's, yeah, it doesn't take much to recognize that things are fastly moving towards chaos and just something something that 10 years ago, I don't know if any of us would have really f- see, seen any of this coming, but it's exciting in one hand because we see we see prophecy being fulfilled but, you know, to our flesh who, is, who wants to be comfortable, it's a little scary, but The disciples asked Jesus, way back when Jesus had just started his ministry, what the signs of his return would be. And in Matthew 24, 10, he says, and then many will be offended, will betray one another, and will hate one another. Now, a couple things to note here, that many doesn't doesn't just mean a few many, if you actually look at a definition of that, usually means the majority. Many will be offended. And before this, Jesus outlines crazy stuff like famine and earthquakes, pestilence, wars. And then he goes on to say, and many will be offended. We'll betray one another and we'll hate one another. An offended person will eventually betray and if a betrayal is not dealt with, can turn into hatred. So right off the bat, if we are wise to this progression, if we are wise to this tool, how could this change the way we look at those around us and the situations around us? Proverbs eighteen nineteen: A brother offended is harder to win than a strong city. Now, this doesn't really translate in 2023, because what's a a strong city? Are we stronger than Greenfield? Luzerne? Yeah, we're stronger than Luzerne. (laughs) But if you look back, what made a city strong? It was a wall. Walls would let people in that you believed were for you, and it would keep out people that you felt were against you. And according to Proverbs, this is exactly what the offended believer does. Only instead of building physical walls, mental and emotional walls are built. 2 Corinthians 10 says, For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds, casting down imaginations. Everyone say imaginations. Every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, say knowledge. Knowledge. And bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ, say thought. So just imaginations, other translations use the word reasonings or arguments, speculations. Everything that exalts itself against the knowledge of God and bringing every thought into captivity imagination's knowledge and thought so what are the strongholds or the city walls that he was referring to in verse four they're the thought processes the reasonings that we develop in our hearts and minds that are contrary to god's nature and what is god's nature anyone god is love And that loving nature always seeks to give. It always seeks to give. But a person who is offended says, I've been hurt, rightfully so, sometimes. And so instead of wanting to love and give, they want to protect, they want to protect. And this makes someone a perfect candidate for betrayal when it says and then many will be offended and betray one another and betrayal doesn't always look like Judas or the latest Hollywood revenge movie where there's some sort of extreme betrayal betrayal simply means I seek my benefit my protection at the expense of someone that I have a relationship with and the betrayal if it's not dealt with can ultimately lead to hatred Well, I don't hate anybody, you may say. We think this because we associate hatred with that emotion. But it doesn't have to require emotion. If you look at 2 Samuel 13, it says, And Absalom spake unto his brother Amnon, neither good nor bad, for Absalom hated Amnon. He didn't have to say a word, but he hated him in his heart. The definition of hatred used in the New Testament simply means loveless, a vacuum with no love. So Jesus is saying in the last days, there are going to be many who are offended, and those offenses are going to lead to possible betrayals. And the betrayals, if not dealt with, are going to end in hatred. And then in verse 11 of our opening scripture, it says, And then many false prophets will rise up and deceive many. Who are the many? They're the same many that were offended. So, what does that tell us? An offended heart is the breeding ground for deception. There's only one problem with deception nobody actively knows they're being deceived. Everyone thinks in their heart that they're right when in reality they're wrong and jesus goes on to say in verse 12 and because lawlessness will abound the love of many will grow cold now lawless if you look at the greek which is really helpful to look at sometimes you don't have to be a scholar to look at the greek it's all online these days Anomia, which means the utter disregard for God's law or not submitted to God's law. So when we develop thought processes that go against the will and nature of God and the walls are up to protect ourselves, we find us entering into that lawless thinking. And because lawless will abound, the love of many will grow cold. I always read this scripture. I don't know if if anyone else has read this before today thinking like lawlessness abounding of course we all see the lawlessness abounding but he isn't talking about the world here he's talking about the church how do we know that because the word love is not it's not phileo which is a brotherly love as in philadelphia city of brotherly love it's agape and agape is the love of God, which He shed abroad in our hearts. And the world doesn't have that. So when He says the love of many is going to wax cold, He's talking about the church. So the person who can hurt you the most is a person close to you. Why would that be? It all comes down to expectations. Our expectations for someone in the world, they're low. But where are our expectations for the person here this morning? Our brother and our sister. They might be here. You could go up the chain. Maybe our expectations for our pastor, our spouse, (laughs) might even be higher. But it's those relationships that can cause offense because expectations are not met. We set ourselves up for a greater offense by our greater expectations. You can put all offended believers into two categories this morning. Those who are genuinely mistreated, and then those who think they've been mistreated. And somebody who thinks they've been mistreated, a lot of times that's communication they have accurate information and they discern it inaccurately, or they might have inaccurate information altogether, but without, without communication, an offense can grow there. That's why we need to communicate. We need to be open and honest with each other. But let's focus on genuine offense this morning. So if you've been genuinely mistreated, do you have the right to be offended Yes, you do. We all have the right to be offended. We can do whatever we want this morning. That's the beauty of his creation. From the garden he gave us a choice. If you want to choose the wrong path, we can do that. At the end, you know, we may pay differently than we than we think. But if we walk with God, listen to this. We have No right to be offended. That's tough to hear. But you don't know what they did to me, Dan. You don't know what they did to me. Have you ever heard that or ever said that? The truth is, you don't know what you did to Jesus. An offended Christian who cannot forgive is a person that's forgotten or never realized what they've been forgiven of. An offended Christian who cannot forgive is a person who has forgotten or never realized what they've been forgiven of. The problem with the church is that we categorize sin. We've got our murders, robbing, stealing, things like that. And then we've got our weaknesses. We, we like to call them weaknesses, which is strife, gossip, unforgiveness, and offense Our weaknesses, Proverbs 6:16 6, talks about six things that the Lord hates. And then the seventh is an abomination. And do you know what the seventh one is? The one who sows discord among the brethren. Sowing discord, gossip. When Adam sinned against God, he could have taken that opportunity right then to say I'm done. They chose the devil over me. I'm going to pack up and create another universe. Create someone who really loves me. And he would have been perfectly just in doing so. Because what I deserved, what I deserved for what I did to God should have resulted in a lake of fire for me, tormented for eternity. That's what I deserve based on what I've done Instead, He freely forgave me. Amen. Amen? That's why a person who cannot forgive is a person who has forgotten what they've been forgiven of. And I know I might, I might be making it sound like this is easy to do. I, I understand it is not easy. But there's a principle we have to understand in Acts, where Paul makes the statement in Acts 24, 16, he says, and herein do I exercise, say exercise, exercise. myself to always have a conscious void of offense towards God and towards men. Exercise. If you exercise, there's, there's, there's benefits to exercise that are obvious. You've got your, your weight loss. You've got your Building muscles. How many are aware of the fact that it helps prevent injury? By building up muscles, building up that that muscle structure, which helps support you, especially as you age, you have the ability to maybe stop a fall. Or if I go to lift something and I'm fresh off a couple months of deadlifts, I'm going to pick that right up, whereas... If I hadn't done that, oh, we're back. <clears throat> so, exercise can help prevent injury. And there are people in the church who listen to a sermon, they don't maybe spend time in the word or spend time in prayer building themselves up. And as a result, they're easily wounded, they're spiritually sedentary. Not having exercise. And then there are people who by spiritual exercise, prayer, who spend time in the word, who gather in fellowship as much as possible, are not easily offended. If we look at Psalms 119, great peace have they which love thy law or thy word, and nothing shall offend them. It's awesome. There's hope. Yes. So how do we exercise? Matthew five forty four, Jesus says, But I say unto you, love your enemies, bless them that curse you, do good to them that hate you, pray for them which despitefully use you, and persecute you. And what's interesting is there's not a whole lot of mention of praying for some of the things that we normally do in church culture. But here he specifically mentions pray for those who persecute you. Pray for our enemies. We exercise here by praying for those that don't deserve it in our own eyes. This isn't easy. And I'm not talking about a Lord, just bless them. (laughs) Bless them, Lord. I'm talking about praying for their benefit the way that you would want to benefit. But what about reconciliation? When Jesus says in Matthew 18, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. You know what he did not intend this to be? Well, you did this and you did that, but I've forgiven you. No, he did not intend this to be a license to vomit all over somebody just to tell them how bad they are. His intention with this chapter was reconciliation. There's a big difference between forgiveness and reconciliation, and they cannot be lumped together. And how, do we, and how do we know the difference? We can look at the cross. When he said on the cross, Father, forgive them, he wasn't talking about the Romans and the priests who were standing there at the foot of the cross or in the distance. He was talking... About everyone down the line, all the way to us who are here this morning. He forgave me, He forgave you from the cross before we ever said, I'm sorry. How many times have we heard or we said, Oh, I'll forgive them when they apologize? What if Jesus would have waited for us? The Lord's Prayer models this perfectly too. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who have sinned against us. We will be forgiven the way that we forgive. Sometimes it's easy just to to quote. A lot of us probably could quote the Lord's Prayer. But are we really taking some of the elements of His Prayer to heart? Forgiveness is... Is pretty straightforward but reconciliation that's a different story when were we reconciled back to God it begins when we repent and turn to him God I'm sorry will you forgive me and what leads us to that repentance Romans 2 verse 4 says knowing that the goodness of God leads us to repentance just as he modeled how we should forgive preemptively, he also teaches us how we should reconcile by creating an atmosphere of goodness and kindness. And that goodness and kindness is going to make someone more open to say, I'm sorry. When we, you did this, you did that, but I've forgiven you. When we do that, how does that, how does that make you feel? Are you going to be open to being told all the things that you've done wrong and open to forgiveness? But there's something about following the plan and instructions that he's laid out in this book. Has anyone been through a successful reconciliation like this where you came back together after, after some kind of offense? There's a connection, I don't know about you, but there's a connection or bond that forms afterwards, unlike anything before. When you're reconciled to a person and you're able to look back at how things were before and know and see that agape love that only comes from God, knowing somebody's faults and loving still. When we first make a friend, When we meet our future spouse, we all have an immature love. But go through something hard. Go through a season of offense with that person and work things out. You'll find that you love them all the more. Because the love of God sees the faults and remains and gets stronger. Jesus says in Luke 17, it is impossible that no offenses should come. It's impossible that no offenses should come. If you breathe air, you're going to be offended. But what are you going to do with that offense? What you do with it is going to determine your future. Will you become stronger or bitter? When it says it is impossible that no offenses should come, this is interesting right here. The Greek word used for offense is scandalon which was the bait stick used to spring a trap now there are other there are other instances of the word offense that don't mean that but here he's using this particular word the hunter would place his bait on the scandalon and the animal would take that bait and the trap would capture or kill so in this scripture an offense is the bait of Satan. Think about that. Another passage illustrates the trap like this in Second Timothy 2, where Paul says to Timothy, avoid foolish and ignorant disputes, knowing that they generate strife. And then further, a couple verses down, it says, that they may come to their senses and escape the snare of the devil having been taken captive by him to do his will. When we are caught in the enemy's trap of offense and remain there and remain there, we are taken captive and redirected from God's will to do the will of the enemy. And what's scary is we can still serve at church, we can still teach, we can still sing, we can even preach but we're not releasing those rivers of living water. There's a bitterness to the water coming from us as a result of being caught in His snare. So why don't you guys stand this morning? Like I said, I I just touched, touched on this this morning. The book I would recommend... Everyone who has time to read it or thinks that they might fall into this category is called The Bait of Satan. It's by John Bevere. And it was it was just amazing. I finished it in a couple days. If you're here this morning and you know that you're offended, or maybe you don't know, but you recognize some of the emotional energy that you give to, do you give to that person, thinking how you were treated? I know this, this has happened to me. Go on a walk and you just stew and you stew and you stew. What are you going to say the next time you see that person? How are you going to enact your revenge? <laughs> and listen, what was done to you was a sin. But does a second sin justify the first one? Does a second sin make what was done to you right? Is the sin of unforgiveness justified by an offense? Two wrongs never make a right. And realize that as hard as it may be, that what you've heard today is the word of God. Our sin of offense needs to be addressed with God. And I want to give you guys an opportunity to do that. You know, God is a gentleman He's never going to force his way into your heart. He's never going to force you to do something against your will. We all know that because if it wasn't the case, we'd all be living in a garden today instead of 2023 and all its challenges. He's hoping that you're going to respond to this because knowing, like I said when I opened, knowing and addressing things is going to free is going to free you so let's be honest with ourselves today don't fool yourself because remember deception is when you think you're right if he's bringing someone into your mind this morning he's only bringing it up to heal you he loves you he wants the best for you So if you knew you had an offense from the start or you're just now maybe realizing it and you don't want to carry it any longer and you want to repent and ask God's forgiveness, don't think of this as a sign of weakness. There's so many words that we've heard even the last couple weeks that are not meant to offend but they're meant so that we could grow into a deeper relationship and a deeper walk with him. So every head bowed this morning. Holy Spirit, I'm just asking you to minister today. Some of the wounds of offense are so deep. Reach your strong hand here this morning and pull any root of bitterness, any offense out of our hearts. Lord, we're asking your presence to come upon us this morning. Heavenly Father, forgive us. Lord, we've sinned against you by refusing to forgive. If you you know that this is something that you're dealing with, just just repeat, repeat after me this morning. I've sinned against you by refusing to forgive. I realize that two wrongs Don't make it right. What was done to me was wrong. But it doesn't justify my sin of offense. So I come before you now in your presence acknowledging that sin. I ask that you would cleanse me with the blood of Jesus. And I'm grateful for your mercy and forgiveness. And now I'm going to extend it to those who have hurt me. Keep your eyes closed. I just want you to picture that person. Could be a friend, could be a parent, could be your ex, could be a former pastor or an employer. Do you see them? I just want you to say to yourself, I forgive that person. Say, you owe me nothing. I forgive you. Now, everyone say, Jesus, my life is yours, fully yours. You are my Lord and my King. I'm yours forever. In Jesus' name. So hopefully you can see where I was coming from. It's, it's very hard to, to whittle this down into something concise that fits into a Sunday morning. But what happens when we live a life free of offense? We're freed so that those rivers of living water can flow like I said with the two types of offense so many times it's just a matter of swallowing your pride and going to that person so many times I'm like what I I, know and that that offense that, that offense is dispelled and you're stronger for having known that a person can come to you Now, those deeper offenses, they take some healing. And reconciliation is not always easy. It's probably the majority of the time it's not easy. But he wants, his desire is reconciliation. His desire is that we would be a body strong. Thanks for listening to this week's message. Be sure and subscribe to the podcast to be notified when new messages are released. And remember to visit gatewaylive.org for more information.